Welcome into this Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Zane Hopin, joined as always by Chris Cartman and Kalen Jones. And today we're going to recap ASU's 44-37 loss to UCLA and talk a little bit about what ASU has left on the schedule and bowl eligibility. But for now, guys, how are we doing? Doing good. Wonderful. How was the wedding? <laughs> wedding was nice. First uh, ASU football game that I did not attend since Washington State in 2013. First ASU game that I did not watch live on television since I can't remember. I think as long as I've been doing this, I've I've um, been at or watched every ASU game. It was uh, kind of weird uh, to follow the game on our Twitter account. <laughs> <laughs> you guys did a really great job. I appreciate it. Thanks for holding down the fort. Uh, and I hope everybody checked out all the content on the site. Of course, but the game happened. You'll probably get blamed for not being well, there. Bad mojo, but blamed for I'm blamed because I picked ASU to win, and so like, oh, I, that's true. I've had a bad season of prognosticating <laughs> this year. All Although this. I would say the vast majority of people have had a bad year prognosticating. Yeah, that's ASU true. Football. No, I don't think anybody really has had a lot, whole lot of success. But regardless. UCLA got the win, 44-37. to 37. Teams were pretty evenly matched in terms of total offense, 584. ASU actually outgained UCLA. They had 573, uh, 381 passing yards to max out the uh, UCLA offense. And then the rushing attack led for ASU with 294 yards, and some people are still saying they should have ran the ball more. But we'll get more into that in a little bit. But first impressions of the game, Kalen, let's start with you. Um. It, it was weird. Um, for all the tempo talk that we've heard, at least to start off the week, I thought ASU's offense, um, the way that they started off the game, um, was impressive for them to, you know, spread, I think, UCLA's defense out by attacking the perimeter and, you know, trying to widen things up in the box and uh, alleviating the pressure inside. I think that's – it worked. And you were able to see that um, on the second drive when they were able to go down the field. But for them to, you know, really stick with the perimeter stuff, especially involving Kalen Balaj on – toss sweeps and not really sticking it to Demario Richard, I think it, it was a concern, especially considering how Demario Richard finished off the game against Colorado. I thought that they should have given him a few more carries, especially in the fourth quarter, and we'll probably get more into that um, you know, later in the podcast, but I thought it was odd. Biggest takeaway, uh, you just uh, see what a great prospect Josh Rosen is, and I think we already kind of knew that, but uh, he was really impressive, especially you look at there was like a handful of drops in the game by UCLA receivers. They could have had a a better performance than they did. I thought that Jordan Lasley coming back for the Bruins after the three-game suspension was enormous. Uh, Probably they don't win that game without him. Uh, Seven catches, 162 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, We're going to talk about this here, you know, coming up, but I, I think that ASU, by going up tempo, had some success, but ultimately played into UCLA's hands. Um, ASU hasn't had a game this season in which it's won a, a shootout or a really high, you know, scoring uh, affair. And I don't really think that Josh Rosen is the type of guy that you want to get into that sort of a so, game okay. with. In particular, when uh, one of your safeties hasn't played much, Evan Fields replacing Daz Tatalatasi, and some of the other concerns that you have with your defense. You have uh, no George Lee up front, so you, you, you get a chance to be more winded defensively. Yeah. Uh, and then I agree with your point, Kalen, about uh, I think you got to feed Demario Richard more. Um, you know, even if he is maybe a little bit banged up or whatever the situation may be, I don't understand uh, his lack of touches in the second half. 
And you, and you talk about ASU's lack of success in, in shootout games. And, I mean, they've really only, only played two. I mean, you think about Texas Tech, they'll almost come back, and then Oregon ended 37-35. ASU was in the low 90s for play count there. But, I mean, we've, we've talked about this, the Oregon game. They had so many injuries to key players. It's kind of hard to look at that as a sample. But, uh, you know, and you also mentioned the start to the game. You know, a lot of drops by the UCLA receivers. It looked like they were just going to march down and score on their first scripted drive. <laughs> Drop touchdown in the end zone in the corner there. I can't remember who it was. But, but ASU started out about as strong as you could ask for in the offensive end. Throw a takeaway in there too, which is something they've, they haven't they have really done the best at all season. That was kind of lucky. That was uh, miscommunication between Rosen and the receiver. And they were, just, they were in the right coverage though, so you got to give them that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've seen this ASU offense struggle in the last couple of weeks. And, you know, this was one where they had a breakout game and, and – how I guess what I'm getting to here is how important was that pick six? The way that the players and you know Todd Graham described it after the game, it, it was the game changer, and I guess you could say the momentum changer and the swing in the contest because really it looked like early on ASU was going to be able to you know drag the game out and force Rosen to come alive in the second half. It happened earlier than I think ASU could afford it to happen. I guess like the comeback per se. Um, it, it definitely swung momentum the way that UCLA was able to rally around it. And that was honestly before Josh Rosen really figured everything out. It wasn't until the second half that he really did. But at that point, you know, ASU wasn't f- further ahead. You know, had they scored three points on the drive, we'd be talking about a different result. I'll kind of be a counterpoint to that. Uh, you had Todd Graham call it a backbreaker <laughs> on Tuesday. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, how is it a backbreaker if you're down 14, if you're leading 14 to 7? Pardon me. Uh, early in a game, like it doesn't make any doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Your offense is yeah. moving the ball well. Uh, okay, yeah, it, gave, it gives UCLA momentum. I think UCLA had self-inflicted wounds early in that game that were pretty substantial. Yeah. First drive, uh, two big plays. I think the second play from scrimmage, third play from scrimmage. They had two big plays, uh, and then they kind of bogged themselves down in the red zone and then missed a field goal, right. which okay, and then um, and then. Uh, they had another drive that was going, you know, relatively well until that miscommunication uh, between Rosen and his receiver about whether uh, th- that was an option route. Your number three receiver, a lot of times in th- at that position, is reading man or zone and then making an, a decision based upon what what it is. Um, so, I, I I I like this whole narrative that has been pushed out there from Graham and and even some media like ASU was like dominant in the game and and that interception like changed everything I don't really necessarily buy that because um not not in a game where UCLA ends up with 600 ish yards of total offense right like I still think that there was too much game left for that to have a very dramatic you know uh overall impact it did have a moderate impact and and I think the the what I took from that is, if you if you remember, uh, guys, in recent games, Manny Wilkins has had a number of batted balls at the line of scrimmage. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and then ASU demonstrated that it had a very easy ability to run the football in those first couple drives. Um, so, why why is ASU running a a uh, tunnel screen kind of a play to Nikhil Harry that takes an extra couple extra second or two to set up? And requires Cole Cabral to get uh, a cut block at the line of scrimmage uh, when you know that Manny Wilkins has a tendency to have those types of balls in that direction 
be uh, tipped on occasion. And tip balls, everybody knows that's that leads to a higher, you know, a, a large number of your interceptions, uh, a decent percentage, I should say, are come off of tips, right? So Manny Wilkins ha- doesn't throw the ball with much touch on those types of passes. And this particular play call didn't call for a lot of touch on the thing because he right. had to get it to Nikhil Harry quickly coming uh, from outside in. And then Cole Cabral, his technique wasn't very good on the cut block attempt. He didn't get through uh, the defensive end. And um, and he made a good, nice play getting up on his feet. The ball was too low. I mean, the ball was would have been just barely over his head anyways, which is, is too low. And you got to be able to see and identify that. But I think the fact that it was a first and 10 play and, and – um, what coordinators do is they're trying to make decisions based upon where the numbers give you an advantage to go with the football. So UCLA pl- played, presented a lot of seven-man boxes in this game where they had four down linemen, three linebackers in the box, two guys on the outside. And that that tells a coordinator, okay, I'm going to be able to get two of my guys blocking those two guys, get the ball to somebody quickly, and then we're going to be able to get pretty consistent yardage. Right. That's definitely true. Now, the problem with that line of thinking is, for a team like ASU, uh, when when you are leading the league in the fewest fumbles, okay, until a team stops your ability to run the ball, it doesn't matter if they add a seventh guy, an eighth guy, a ninth mm-hmm. guy into the box. You just keep handing the football off, especially especially when you're leading fourteen to nothing, and now the game is in a place for you where you can just wear on a, an opponent physically. Bleeding clock is good for you. Playing fewer plays is good for you. You don't when you're 14. Oh, this idea of put your foot on their throat with some kind of big fancy plays and whatever. I don't think you need to be doing any of that. I think you just need to be plugging away. If you don't get a if you don't get a first down, okay, fine. You punt the ball. You make UCLA drive the whole field. Then you keep doing your what you're doing, and ultimately that's going to have some success. So I think that they're the coordination of the coaching in terms of their overall game plan and approach trickling all the way down to the micro level with that play call, I don't think was the best uh, uh, considered approach that they had in the game. And before we really get into the running game and the, and the tempo of the ASU offense, one more thing on Rosen. We, we talked going into this game about how they want to handle Rosen pressure-wise. Do they want to keep him on his toes all game, or do they want to just drop back and, and make him try and beat them, you know, everybody in coverage, basically? Yeah. So how would you – I mean, obviously hindsight, but how would you evaluate what they did against Rosen? Man, they they weren't – they put themselves in positions a lot, at least when they were blitzing. I think that was the better option. That was the more successful choice was to get after him. We saw when they were only rushing three or four in coverage. He was dumping the ball off and finding the little pockets within the zones underneath and taking what the defense gave them. And you saw L.A. was able to establish drives and eventually even take shot plays off of that. But, um, you know, in, in scenarios like that, that's where they failed. I think they, they should have been more aggressive at times, um, especially with their edge rushers. And, again, I think the lack of having a true pass rusher as in an Antonio Longino, like Karan Crump, guys who can kind of close out sacks. Because we saw how – JoJo Wicker was able to get in the backfield and just wasn't able to chase him down. In that scenario, we've seen Karan Crump and Tony Longino end up cleaning up plays. And A.J. Latsu, he's a solid player, but he's not really you know, capable of doing that on a consistent basis for ASU. So I think that's what really hurt them. I think had they been more aggressive, uh, 
and honestly, by at, at one point there there was, there was a scenario where you know they were being as aggressive as possible, rushing six or seven guys, and a couple of times Rosen just simply you know last in the pocket. So you know credit to UCLA's offensive line, honestly, for playing arguably its best game against ASU since Josh Rosen's been there. Going into this game, I thought that this was a topic that reasonably intelligent football coaches would probably disagree about whether or not you try to get after Rosen or you kind of lay back in consideration of their inability to stop the run and some of their other issues that they have, like, right. like their, their, their personnel, their receiving personnel, right? Uh, early on in the game, it, it seemed like they were trying to get more pressure in. Um, my, my sentiment really is that when, you're, when you do take a 14 nothing lead, as they as ASU did there, you know, relatively early, uh, you might as well at that point in time play more conservative, keep everything in front of you, and make UCLA take ten to fifteen play drives, even if it is going to score points. Yep. When you know that, hey, you know, we have the ability to come back and score on a lot of our drives too, and you have this two touchdown advantage that you want to sort of you know not play with. What I don't get is when Todd Graham says it's a backbreaker to make it a one-score game, but yet you're really trying to play fast because playing fast is it almost guaranteed to get put a, a game in motion that's going to lead to more points on the board. Um, so um, I, I don't necessarily think that there's a, a wrong answer, whether you try to pr- pressure Rosen or whether you try to play back back and just kind of you know be more relaxed, other than you have to be able to adjust within the game to what's happening and, and also in consideration of your own personnel. Like, for example, Evan Fields is brand new. Yeah. You don't want him put in a lot of situations where he has to make plays and key reads and whatever. So. You want to keep that real conservative, play some quarters coverage, you know, and let him kind of, you know, get his get his bearings. Even at that point, though, Rosen was still picking on him. And that's what I, Kevin Stewart pointed out during the middle of the game. When they were sitting back in coverage, Rosen was still picking on it him. It was throughout the game. Yeah. The, the, the third play of the game, they ran a uh, uh, inline tight end and another receiver into the boundary. The tight end runs a hitch and go. He bites on it hard. The guy goes by him. Chase Lucas was smart enough to identify it and, and adjust and, and get back and it was a, it was incomplete but but you, that was another like UCLA could have hit on that that could have been a touchdown so part of this this narrative about how gosh you know ASU should have won and they had all the chances I think that's something that people see from a we cover ASU we follow ASU perspective as opposed to a somebody who's just watching the game as an independent observer right. independent right. observer a totally independent person is thinking, well, UCLA missed plenty of chances and had balls intercepted that they shouldn't have and, you know, all these kinds of things too. So, um, you know, like ASU has the the big special teams play in this game. And, you know, so I don't really make too much of that, but uh, I don't necessarily think that they made a mistake in terms of how much they were pressuring, even though they didn't get to Rosen uh, to sack him. They got to him, but they didn't sack him. Right. And, you talk about that tempo. It's been it's been a topic we've talked about for the last couple of weeks. You know, Graham said after the game they wanted to get to a hundred plays. Don't understand. <laughs> they I don't. Run. I don't understand that. Like you haven't had any success in any game that you that, that has been above like eighty something plays. I think the Oregon they ran I think ninety three. Correct, but Oregon only ran and that sixty was, something plays in that yeah, game. Disparity. Yeah, There's yeah, a clear yeah. Disparity. yeah. But yeah, they ran ninety eight. Graham said they wanted a hundred. And you and know, by the way, what was the score in that game? 
It was 37-35. So ASU, so that's a great point. So ASU beats Oregon by two points in Tempe with mm-hmm. a 25 play <laughs> disparity or something, right? Yeah, a 25 play advantage in that game. If I'm not if I'm not mistaken, right? I'm looking right. at it right now, actually. So 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 ASU ran 92 plays. Oregon ran 65 plays. Oregon had more yards per play. ASU just had a lot better drive sustainment. Right and a lot more time with the football, and that's that that that's that was the winning formula. You don't want to get into a thing where you, you, where Josh Rosen has the ball in his hands a lot. Yeah, that's bad. It's always going to be bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and just to put that into perspective, you look at the two biggest wins of the year, obviously Washington and then Utah on the road. ASU against Washington ran seventy three plays, held Washington to sixty one, and then against Utah ran seventy five. Utah had seventy. Ding ding ding! Like. Those are your best games. Yeah. Your best games. You didn't turn the football over. You didn't have negative plays from scrimmage. You didn't need that many plays to win. And your defense had better outings. And it's the synergy of the pieces. No mistakes on special teams. No big plays allowed on defense. And and not making mistakes, self-inflicted wounds, and, and getting, you know, drives the same on offense. The more that the game loses its form, I think I was talking about you can't have the game lose its form last week. Mm. The more that the game loses its form, the more that the best player, who's yeah. a quarterback, yeah. is going to be able to dice <laughs> that thing up. Exactly. And the best player, no offense to Manny Wilkins, he's been a much improved player this year. You don't want to. You're not going. Nobody's going to put their push their money to Manny Wilkins in a shootout between him, him and, and Josh, Josh Rosen. Rosen. He's yeah. going to lose. And so that's why I don't think. You know, and then you got Todd Graham saying also this week we only had three big shots in the passing game and we need to get ten a game. It's like that's not your identity. Yeah, like, that's not what your team is. It's not your identity. <laughs> you haven't done any of that in the whole conference play. Yeah, since it's conference not going to just started. come to you. You don't yeah. just 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 accept who you are <laughs> and try to do that really well. And I, I don't think they did it in this game. I really just don't. It's still like they're still having identity crisis. They, they with, are. T- with two games left in the and, season. And, and the, and the Kalen Balage all, all the yeah. all the reps that yeah. he got. He got so many reps in the second half. His play his play count should be less. Yeah. Damari Richard play count should be more. He hasn't so, been consistent enough. Where I mean just trying to think about this logically, where where would this desire for tempo come from? I mean, because the, the, the past, yeah, he referred to Taylor Kelly. That's what he was mentioning mm-hmm. during Tuesday's press conference. He referenced how Taylor Kelly understood how to activate all 10 people and get everything going. See, but I, this isn't that I, team. I, 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 I have a strong sort of beat on this. Mm-hmm. Todd Graham's defenses early in his tenure were huge on getting three and outs, mm-hmm. pass rushing, sacking, forcing turnovers. Right. So they got off. They they got off the field really quickly, easily. Like, and, and then they gave up a lot of big big plays. Still, right. But but Norvell's offense. Tide said today they're running on air. ASU's running on air because the defense is, is 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 staggered and they can't catch their breath. And we're getting all these big plays. But you haven't done that with this team against anybody decent. Nope. So you're so you are have these sort of this romantic notion of what you were in a different era when we were when you know he's thinking when we were winning 10 games we were able to do this and this and this phil bennett is a different 
type of a defensive coach than you are, though, Todd. He is he's doing it differently. He doesn't need what you had offensively in 2012 or 13 exactly. to be able to be successful in this version of the Pac-12. And that's where I think that there's just a disconnect there. And, 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 and it was a bad time for it to happen, too. Because, let's face it, Todd Graham is like, you know, he's looking over his shoulder like in a big way and about to get tackled in his coaching career mm-hmm. before he gets to the end zone. And, and, and that was, I mean, I, I just think that that this game in, in a lot of respects is almost like a microcosm of Todd Graham's tenure. At and it, it is. And yeah. he summed it up today because he's talking about how he has a six year plan. Just a quote. He said, we put a plan in here six years ago. You can modify the plan. You could adapt the plan and you better adapt to your players each year because your players are constantly changing. Right. And that's the thing though. Like you're contradicting yourself because look at you, you have the players that you have now. You're not adapting no. your schematics to what you have personnel-wise. No, and 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 there's a, a reasonable case be made here that Billy Napier and or Phil Bennett understand this, but Todd Graham is the alpha. I want to do it this way. Yeah, type of guy, and then that creates things where you're not all on the same page and 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 working to the same end. Um. So I just don't I don't like the. I don't like the plan and the execution of the plan in this game. I think I think coaching was a major factor in this game. And continuing with this plan, things people don't like or do like, yeah. whatever, whatever you want to say, the running game. I mean, Demario Richard going into the fourth quarter had – where did I write it down? He had 19 carries for 107 yards going into the fourth quarter. <coughs> That's pretty good, right? Dominating. Yeah. Safe to say. Yeah. Against gets, the UCLA defense, giving up 100 yards more than anybody else in the Pac-12 <laughs> per game. Gets the first two carries of the fourth quarter for yeah. 18 yards. So That's 90 yards good. for your two carries in the fourth quarter. That's pretty good, Doesn't right? see the ball the rest of the game. Did his leg fall off? No. Did his arm fall off? No. Okay. Kalen Bellage gets the carries the rest of the game. I mean, he had, Kalen had a good game over but, stat on paper. 21 but, for 97, no touchdowns. Let me make a counterpoint to that. Kalen Balazs averaged 4.8, I think, yards per, per carry in the game. That sounds about right. UCLA is giving up six yards per carry on the season. Mm. And and UCLA coming into this game was giving up 302 – or after – sorry, well, after the game, 302 yards per game rushing ASU right around there at 294. Let's just let's, – let's put it like this. And, and, and this is going to come – this is going to be – it's going to come across a little bit more harshly – like it could be directed at Kalen Balage, but I don't mean it that way. I'm really talking about the coaching. You guys have been watching ASU football for the entirety of Kalen Balage's career. Yes. Has there been any game, any game, where Kalen Balage, as a running back, ran through a team in between the tackles and just dominated the game? No, not even the Texas Tech game. Because yeah. his, his home run, came, his home run. Shot came off the edge off on an off tackle, and then the other scores came off. I was smarky for me. Okay, so he's at the end of his ASU career, and he hasn't done that. That's not what he is. And yet you know that UCLA is the, as ripe as any team in the country for being just gashed up the middle. And, and, and maybe not even gashed. Three plays, you're going to get 10 yards the vast majority of the time. Four plays, if you're committed to it, you're going to get 10 yards almost every time against UCLA. There's... You know, everybody listening watches a lot of football, the NFL, you guys do too. There's plenty of times in the NFL where you win a game and a quarterback throws the ball 15 times. 
because he didn't need to do anything else. And the, the coaches didn't ask him to d- ask to do anything right. else. Exactly. You just go and you get some stops and, and you run the ball mostly and the clock runs down and teams only have the ball seven or eight times each as opposed to 12 times each. And there's not 90 plays for everybody. There's 60-some plays for everybody. And, 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 and that's it. That's the game. <laughs> you don't need to throw the ball with Manny Wilkins 37 times. You don't need to Kalen the Kalen Balot. You just don't need any of this. Just run the football with DeMario Richard. And by the way, Eno Benjamin. And that, that's what I was... Eno Benjamin. That's what I was going to say. The timing of it was so bizarre because last week, what did we see? Eno Benjamin get a couple carries and dominate and DeMario Richard close a game by just bruising Colorado's defense. And Remind then a week me what later, Napier said after the, after that about DeMario Richard. He gets better as the game goes on, he gets, pretty he, much. He said he gets better as he gets lathered up. Lathered yeah. up. Yeah. So he word. lathered him up all, and then he put him out there the in the shot. cold winds ah. on the sidelines yeah. there. You know, I don't know. I don't know. You know, first practice back this week, Demario Richards out there with the ones getting touches. So obviously, it wasn't like some injury thing that prevented him from getting. Well, and it, it was the the one thing that I thought of when Kyle Williams said they have the the sheet and they tally how many touches each of their guys has <laughs> in the game, and it's almost like they got to this point in the fourth quarter, like, oh, Kalen doesn't have enough touches, we got to add tallies to his name on the sheet take a zippo to and it's the like sheet. A, it's like a, they just completely forgot about this game situation and said we need to get him carries i mean i'm sure that's not what happened but it's almost no, like, i'm not sure i don't know. i don't know how it could be you're just, you're, you're five and four demario richard is averaging over a game and a half like over six yards a carry he can't get two carries in the fourth quarter and that's it and then you run the ball another 10 times or whatever I don't. I don't understand. And and we saw a little. And by the this. way, Demario Richards' dad doesn't understand either. Yeah. <laughs> Demario Richards' dad, who is very uh, outspoken on Twitter, uh, um, he probably had his his biggest outburst of commentary uh, during the game. In fact, somebody should run over and put a camera on Demario Richards' dad as he watches the game. <laughs> it's like and, the, and live tweets. The ESPN national championship simulcast. He, the he, ESPN yes. two's got to be Demario. If dad. you get the ESPN two version of Don Demario Richard, <laughs> that thing would there'd be a lot of switches over. <laughs> and then and then just one more thing before we get into bowl eligibility. You know, red zone success has been a highlight of this team all year. And then uh, this game, you know, three touchdowns, three field goals. They were six of six, three touchdowns, three field goals. And then in the second half alone, they had three trips inside the ten with no touchdowns. It's weird. Um, you know, I, th- I think I'm not trying to steal your point, Chris. I no, know no, you're gonna say it, but you said it before the podcast. Of points. I, I'm very <laughs> long-winded. Yeah, no, you said it before the podcast. Like they were kind of due to have a game where they weren't as successful. You know, scoring touchdowns. Uh, they had been, you know, pretty consistent to this point. But I, I, to that point too. Um, I think the play calling again was a little spotty towards the end. I think that I think even Rob Likens, wide receivers coach, was making a point today during interview or Tuesday during interviews um, that you know they should have called a bit more shot plays for Nikhil Harry, potentially involve him a little bit more, take advantage of the per- vertical passing game as opposed to the perimeter game and attack. But not, the not field. once you get once you get in there. Are you yeah, about once you get in the red, red zone? zone. Yeah, oh, once you get like, to the red zone. Like like. Yeah, no, throw it up to Nikhil here and see what he could do. And even Manny Wilkins mentioned it during okay. his presser as well. I don't really consider it a, sh- a shot Or play. not shot it's play, a, forgive me. Yeah. But throw up a fade and put it up and let him go get it. I I, I couldn't necessarily disagree with that whatsoever. Uh, you look at those drives. They had um, 
one in the third quarter, first and and uh, and ten at the eleven yard line. It's they play like three read options in a row. I think um, Wilkins kept it twice. I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, but Wilkins has a tendency to keep the ball a little bit more on read options once they get into inside the red zone, <laughs> gold zone. Um, I, I think you just, you know, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I think you want more designed, straight up just runs for for Demario Richard. Um, you know, fourth quarter, they got in there twice and they had, you know, two opportunities. Um, I think, I think so. One of them, uh, they had it down to first and ten at the eleven again, same situation. Then, then Kalen Balaj gets a four-yard carry. Then Balaj gets a two-yard carry. Now they're sitting on third and six. Um, or actually, I'm sorry, first and ten, incomplete pass to John Humphrey. Then two carries for 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 uh, um, Kalen Balaj. And and this, you know the second one was a third and six where they where they ran it with Balaj and he only got two yards. I don't know about a third and six run for Kalen Balaj. Uh, that's a little bit, you know, but but the first down to to throw it there, I don't know, you know, and then the other one, um, I don't know, I'm losing it. Uh, they they, um, I can't find it. You guys remember what happened on the other their other trip down there? Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, but I think they I think they ran it twice. I think they ran it twice and they didn't and they weren't able to get anything. Then they had success, but they didn't have success. But what I but the thing that I want to say is uh, ASU's first in the league in red zone conversions. Okay, overall. They've only had one trip in the red zone that didn't result in points. That's a phenomenal rate when you get to your, you know, through 10 games of your season. Uh, the only time they weren't successful, they took a knee. And 25 of 28 trips into the gold zone, which is what Tagram calls inside the 10, have been touchdowns. Only two times other than the knee were not touchdowns. In this game, they had three trips in there that were not touchdowns. So they had as many in this one half of football as they had in the first nine and a half games. So A, they were kind of due for that, to have some of those. They were overdue to have some of those trips. B, I think the personnel decisions. And then C would be some of the play calling decisions. It's a combination of those three factors. And absolutely, if they score touchdowns all those times, it makes a difference. But guess what? Even if they score a touchdown, one out of those three, it's not enough for you to win the game. Got to think about that too. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't like you can't just say like if you're an ASU fan or you're Todd Graham or whatever. Hey, it came down to the interception, and then it came down to the three red zone things, because UCLA missed multi, They missed a field goal. They had a pump blocked. They dropped touchdown. Dropped touchdown. Mm-hmm. They, they had multiple things. Like so, I think all that stuff evened out in the wash, and and really weren't the main reasons that they lost. Two games left at Oregon State at home against Arizona. Mm-hmm. Graham talked a little bit, and Manny Wilkins talked a little bit today about the importance of bowl eligibility for them internally. But if you look at it from the outside looking in, you know, Graham on the hot seat, the young players developing. How important really is is making a bowl game for this team? Uh, I don't think it, it can't go overstated how important I think you know, earning bowl eligibility is well for Graham, who's on the hot seat, as you mentioned, Zane, and just, you know, getting that extra month of practices for this young group of players. I mean, you, you, we've seen to this point, they're still lacking in identity. You hope that, or, you know, if you're an ASU fan, I guess you'd hope that, um, that extra month of practices, you find some, some cohesion with the coaching staff, figure out some type of kinks or, you know, what go, what 
type of identity moving forward and playing against an opponent that's, you know, presumably motivated to play against them. I think that would be the significance of playing it. So, so two, two points here. The first point is for the program, uh, irrespective of Graham, the, the, the bowl practices, 15 bowl practices, extremely important. Uh, they didn't get it last year. So they missed that developmental time. It's like a second spring ball. It, you need that to, to happen. Uh, so they need to win one of the one of the games. For Graham, if there's no bowl, there's no there's no Graham tenure moving yeah. forward. You're now gonna have a totally different you know situation happen. I'm, I'm sure he's not gonna save keep his job if you lose the last three games of the season and you miss a bowl after the last couple of years. Uh, and, and and to go a step further than that, there's a very good possibility that he needs to win both of these next games to save his job because even six and six with maybe a loss to Arizona is not going to look good in consideration of what's happened the last two years. So I, I think that there's a strong chance that Graham needs to win the next two games and uh, in order to, to uh, remain at ASU. And, and even then I don't think it's like a guarantee that he's safe uh, just given the totality of what we've seen over the last three years. Although I think firing him if, if, if they do win the next two games, um, maybe a little bit ill-considered final thoughts uh, michael sleep dalton didn't have he had a pretty solid day he only had one bad punt Nikhil harry keeps plugging along Nikhil harry is uh on pace to be among the the uh you know season record books and in multiple categories for asu in the top 10 of at least three or four different categories he's still pushing the career stuff uh, and um, the touchdown pass that he had, the first one was really it was a really nice play, the, the catch. Um, yeah, that's all. ASU. Oh, oh sorry, sorry. And uh, AJ McCollum continues to play actually really well. Sam oh, Jones man, had yeah. a, had a good game. Actually, the left side of ASU's offensive line maybe uh, was as good as it's been overall, uh, including the center position. Yeah. Uh, PFF uh, honored McCollum. And Sam Jones and Nikhil Harry for its all offensive team. When that happens, you have three players on that team, you probably should win. There you go. ASU at Oregon State this Saturday. Be on the lookout for all of our preview content, including our premium podcast that always comes later in the week. But for now, thank you for listening.